You are Locked On Nuggets, your daily Denver Nuggets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody, and welcome to the Locked On Nuggets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Adam Moditz from DNVR, where you can subscribe for $5 a month, get access to all, all of our premium content. I'm writing solo today, a short episode, a notebook episode. Matt Moore off today. We'll be back on Saturday as the Nuggets play, take on the Sacramento Kings. This one, of course, the Nuggets at Lakers, and it was a meaningful game in a lot of different ways. I think most meaningful because it really demonstrated to me where Denver is is behind the Lakers by quite a bit. You know, in watching this game and then rewatching it this morning I, or this afternoon, I kind of get the sense that the Nuggets this year are kind of at this moment in time, at least, there's a lot of time to change. Like teams evolve over the course. You remember Denver last year lost to the Clippers on national television, got blown out. And I think a lot of, you know, a lot of people sort of wrote them off at that moment. And I think this game is going to kind of be a similar one. It's a little earlier in the season, even than last year's against the Clippers was. Um, so there's even more opportunity, I think, for Denver to grow. But this was a game where I think it's very difficult if you watch this one to sit here and say that the Lakers and Nuggets are, you know, in the same tier at, presently. Um, so that that's kind of what this game demonstrated. One, the Lakers just suffocating defense, the ability to sort of really put the clamps on and, and change the game on that end of the court. I think also the Lakers just having a little bit stronger of an identity and what their players are supposed to do. I mean, guys like Taylor Horton Tucker, um, guys like Alex Caruso, Contavious Caldwell Pope, even Kyle Kuzma, those guys know what they're supposed to do and what they're not supposed to do. And they stick in and they stay in those lines. Like LeBron as a leader and as a best player on their team clearly has those guys understanding and accepting their roles in a way that I think Denver still has, even at the top. And I think, you know, today I'm going to talk a lot about Jamal Murray because I thought when I watched it live, I thought, okay, you know, whatever, up and down game. But when I watched it the second time, I thought this was really demonstrates a lot of what is so frustrating and I think concerning about Jamal Murray. Um, and so he's going to take a highlight here. But even him, and then you go down to guys like Will Barton, guys like Michael Porter Jr., even guys like Paul Millsap, just – where their roles and what is expected of them maybe is is not appropriate to who they are as players, um, but also just them and their understanding or acceptance of that, I think, a little bit off. And you watch a Lakers team, and it's like, okay, they clearly know who they are and what they are, and everybody knows what they're supposed to do. So getting into the notebook here, if you're new to the show, what I do on notebook episodes, I go through sort of chronological order of things that I wrote down um, as we watch the game. That usually gives a, a good sense of, uh, of all my big takeaways. The first thing, obviously, is the starting lineup, which is uh, a big deal. And this is what's funny to me is, you know, a lot of the conversation, I think, is about was this the right starting lineup for this game? And I think the answer to that is yes. Like the starting lineup did a very good job in this game, especially in the first half, both in the first quarter and in the second quarter when they came back in to close the, the half, were very strong. The, the Two of the strongest stretches of the, of the game for the Denver Nuggets and the ones in which they won, Jamichael Green knocked down some shots, um, you know, seemed to fit into that. When you talk about guys that sort of know and accept their role, Jamichael Green pretty high on the list of guys that under, seem to understand what he is and is not supposed to do and where his effort needs to be focused. Um, so hence plugging him in, I think for the specific lineup, the answer is yes. The question is, what is this lineup? And like, is this a lineup that Denver's going to use outside of just maybe the series? And maybe it was, you know, I often wonder about coaches 
when you have a team like the Lakers that you probably are going to match up, if you go far in the playoffs, you're probably going to match up with them. I always wonder, do you try to experiment early in the season? Like now, this is the first time the Nuggets and Lakers are matching up. Or do you, early on in the season, you're just playing your game, trying to work on things, and then later in the year, you try something out? I don't know the answer to that. And this one... The fact that Denver did something so outside of the box made me think maybe this was Malone thinking, I need to get some data points on this. And if I do it early enough, maybe, you know, that change, I will get more intel out of that than the Lakers will get intel out of us. Um, and, and maybe that was sort of the thought process there. It seems a little bit too much 40 chest, maybe, to, to really be something Denver should do, or, or, or maybe it is evidence of why they maybe were not overthinking this. But the simple fact of the matter is that when you watch this Nuggets team, no matter what configuration they play at, throw out there, they clearly have a lot of growing to do to reach their final form and to reach a form that can be competitive this year. I think the Nuggets are good. I think last year the Nuggets were underrated. I think this year the Nuggets are sort of properly rated in that I don't buy them as a team that is better than the Lakers or Clippers or 76ers or Bucks or, or even the Nets. Like Those top-tier teams to me seem to me to be clearly above those, and what it's going to take for Denver to break into that is a healthy understanding and integration of Michael Porter and obviously even with Jamal Murray, his growth, and just all of those pieces kind of coming together. So not going to that in an effort to try to match up with the Lakers to me seems like a fool's errand even if in a vacuum it seemed to be the smart move for this one nuggets get a 12 to 7 start and all seven points for the lakers were tough shots by ad and lebron lebron two two jumpers ad one jumper all of them contested and i thought denver's defense to open with that group was fantastic absolutely fantastic and this is why malone likes it that's a lineup you can trust for guys to not make mistakes like even will barton you know jamal murray Jokic. those guys know at least where to be on the court and how to rotate and communicate and all those things if they get beat it's because they can't stop guys not because they don't know where to be and so it makes sense this is a sort of in my opinion a bit of a security blanket type lineup for for michael malone and they get off to that 12 point start so they get 12 points and they're getting this off of what i thought was phenomenal basketball process a lot of going to Jokic Jokic attacking you know the Lakers early on deciding we're not going to double let's just see what happens when we put Gasol on him well Jokic was eating him alive early on made it look really easy was very comfortable and the ball was just moving and finding guys and I thought the Nuggets looked in that first three minutes or so four minutes looked really as good as they had looked at all, all season long when you come out of the timeout so Lakers take a timeout the Nuggets went the next out of that timeout the next went the next 3 minutes and 30 seconds of game clock without with Jokic only touching the ball once he drew a foul and then so then it's a sideline on a bounce then he didn't touch the ball again and Denver actually scored on these but one of my notes one of my big notes for this game was that Denver and this is true of Denver in the entire sort of Jokic Malone era that Denver falls out of rhythm way too easily for a team that has such like such talented offensive players and especially a talented offensive core. Now, I think part of this is when you, the difference between having a point guard or wing, you know, ball handling wing as your best player and your center as a best player is the center often requires, even though Jokic handles the ball out on the perimeter a lot, he still requires somebody to throw him the ball. He still like is not as often, not the guy that brings the ball up the court or has handed the ball out of a, out of a timeout or whatever. Like somebody still has to find him. And it just seems like Denver, you know, so, so, and again, a lot of this I think is on Jamal Murray because the ball is in his hands. It's really dictated by what he is feeling or seeing um, far too often. And in this one, they go three minutes and 30 seconds. And over the stretch, Jamal Murray hits a bunch of tough shots. But here's where this is tough. 
Jamal Murray hitting tough contested mid-range jumpers is great because he can hit them, and that's a real weapon. But when you go long stretches, three minutes and 30 seconds, even if he hits three of three in that stretch, nothing else is nobody else is touching the ball. No, nothing else is spiraling off of it. And once you go cold, what do you fall back on? Is there a process you fall back on, or do you have to reestablish a rhythm? And I think that's a large part of what happened to the Nuggets in that second half is Murray stopped making those shots. He really made them throughout the entire first half. And in that second half, things kind of got cold and the decision-making was poor. But you go that whole three minutes and 30 seconds, Jokic only touches it once, and and uh, it was to draw a foul, and then they, they just take it out of the sideline. Um, they started inverting things after that. So the first you get Murray and you get Bart and you get a couple, it wasn't just Murray as a, a couple guys, like just looking at opportunities and saying, Ooh, I got this. Let me go. And then you get an inverted offense where Denver starts posting up Jamal Murray a whole bunch. And again, it worked for a smart, for a small stretch here. Denver was actually scoring and doing a nice job, but again, it was such a departure from what they typically do, and it didn't work quite as well as going to Jokic early on in these ones. So what, for whatever it was, Denver Denver seemed to be liking this sort of inverted style of offense. Um, and, and like I said, they got really good looks. We'll take our first break here, actually. We're going to get into the second quarter, which was also very interesting. The second unit comes in in the second quarter and does some positive things, and then later on we'll obviously get to that second half where everything fell apart. But first, I want to tell you about betonline.ag. You guys know this weekend – the big game, the Super Bowl. I think I'm allowed to say the Super Bowl. The big game is on this weekend, and that is the number one time to sort of dive into um, sports betting if you want to get into it. And our partner here at Locked On is, is betonline.ag. Um, betonline.ag has lines and props and all kinds of stuff for the Super Bowl this very weekend. So you can get in on all of that action. Uh, check out all of the cool things they're doing. Also, follow them on social media, betonline uh, underscore ag. Um, you know, just lots of cool stuff. If you've never gotten to sports gambling, this is a really, really good weekend for it. And you want to check it out at betonline.ag. Back here in the Locked On Nuggets podcast, I want to tell you about Locked On Today. Get more out of the sports news you need in less time with our new podcast, Locked On Today. Peter Bukowski, host of the Locked On Today uh, daily podcast, breaking down the biggest stories with analysis from our local, local experts. Start your day with all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to Locked On Today wherever you get podcasts. All right, getting into the second quarter here. Early on, I thought that Michael Porter had some decent cuts. Um, you know, early on, he had a really, really bad game. And I think he takes center stage, um, all, you know, I mean, all the nuggets really fell apart in that second half. But in the second half, I thought he really shined in the in the worst possible ways. But in the first half, he did have some nice cuts and some nice things going that you thought, okay, maybe there's something here. We can get going. It's concerning because now we're talking about three or four games in a row where Michael Porter has looked out of sorts. He's starting to look when Michael Porter plays poorly, especially on the defensive end, you start to see him wear it on his face, the stress, the uncertainty, that just like he does not look, he looks miserable out there. And I know this look, I had a miserable experience as a college basketball player, especially early on in my career when I was trying to, you know, when there was like a lot of lessons to learn. And I can see that same weight on top of Michael Porter, where like none of the fun aspects of basketball seem to be there for him right now. And all of the negative, I'm screwing up, everybody's mad at me, coach especially. He just seems to be wearing that right now. And I, I feel for him because again, as much as I am discouraged by the slow progress he has made as sort of a basketball thinker, I'm also 
empathetic with the idea of like, when that's not happening as a coach, you have this diamond in the rough. You cannot allow this to turn into another Nurkic situation. That would be a disaster that probably derails everything the Nuggets have built. If you end up getting a player in Michael Porter that one, doesn't develop into the player he should be because of how talented he is. And two, if you end up having to trade him at such a discounted rate that, you know, you just don't get back pieces that actually help you in a meaningful way. Like Michael Porter, if you do it and eventually move on from him, he needs to be moved as a young superstar that didn't fit the mold, not as this like player that isn't growing or, uh, as a prospect or what have you. And I worry with him that, you know, it's early. There's still plenty of time, but I watch games like this and just how discouraged he looks, how much Malone seems to grit his teeth every time he's on the court. And I just think, what, what are we doing here? Um, Monte Morris, I thought ran that second unit extremely well. He, he Monte's been the most underrated Nuggets player by leaps and bounds, in my opinion, this year. He really it makes me wonder, honestly, how much Monte Morris maybe is just like a better player than people give him credit for, myself included. Like I've always thought of him as this backup point guard. And I think because by virtue of his size, he probably is mostly a backup point guard, but he also might be more than just a backup point guard. He also might be one of those guys that you look at when you look at a bench and you look at, okay, where are we going to allocate funds or whatever you're trying to build a contender? You have one guy usually off the bench that you say, okay, that solidifies it. And people usually think of that as the bench score, right? This is why people are always saying, I want Will Barton on the bench, or I like Michael Porter on the bench because that gives you scoring. And there's some truth to that, but it also might be true that Monte Morris is that guy, not necessarily as a scorer, although he's capable of scoring, but he might just be a guy that you throw into a group of four average guys that know how to do their job. And he's going to create elite enough shots for those guys that even if they knock down, you know, if you have guys that can knock down great shots at an average rate, that's probably better than having guys that can knock down average shots at a great rate. Like, you know, being a good tough shot maker, it's still, you would rather have like regular guys making wide open, great looks. So um, it, Monte Morris, I just think is one of those guys that you can plug into almost any lineup. He adjusts right away. Um, he's so talented. I, we might be underrating him. And when I say we, I, I mean me as well. Um, I talked about Michael Porter struggling. One of the things that has made him traditionally, you know, impactful, even when he's making tons of mistakes is just his shot making. But I don't think it's a coincidence that the Nuggets have run up against some very smart teams lately and that he has hit his toughest sort of stretch. You know, the Utah Jazz, San Antonio Spurs, now the Lakers. I don't think it's a coincidence in part because you have some defenses in particular and just some some teams that don't make mistakes and that are make things more difficult on the on the offense. They just put you in tough positions. And Michael Porter in this game, you guys remember the shot where uh, Anthony Davis blocked him. There's certain blocks, like you get a finger on it or, oh my God, a guy makes an incredible rotation. And then there's blocks like that one where Michael Porter's just not seeing the court. And against a lot of teams, maybe you can do that because they don't have an Anthony Davis or they don't have an elite number one ranked defense where everybody's on a string and rotating. Michael Porter thinks he's bullying Kyle Kuzma and making this move to the basket. But really, Kuzma's just kind of like, yo, are you... You can have you can beat me by a half step, but you're going to run into Anthony Davis on the other side. Just didn't see him at all. Gets collapsed on and gets blocked. Really, really, really rough. And I think that is sort of the thing that when we talk about where Michael Porter has looked best, especially this season, it's often against some of the bad teams. And when you think about inside the seeding round last year, he looked great in that seeding round, 37 points and 30 points. Like he can do this sometimes at those levels. But once you get against the great defenses or against teams that are more, you know, prepared for, for what your, your tendencies are, you know, they take that away from you. And then on the other end, especially in that second half, I thought they really attacked Michael Porter in a way that just absolutely destroyed Denver. So, you know, him, he looked really bad. I mean, I, 
I think he needs to play. I, I think that 21 games into the season, he should be further along in large part because hopefully he plays. Now, obviously, COVID didn't agree with that, and, and some of the stuff was out of Denver's control. But at the same time, you can't go another 20 games with Michael Porter making this this low-level amount of progress that he's made, in my opinion. It would be a disaster for Denver. Um, Millsap missed some really key shots. Denver, so Denver goes up 12 at the half. Time, at, at the half. And they could have easily been up, in my opinion, could have easily been up by 15, 16, 17, 18 points. Millsap in particular just really cold in this game, and the ball had a lot of energy in that first half. It was popping quite a bit, uh, or in that second quarter. It was popping quite a bit, and it kept finding Millsap for like wide-open shots that just couldn't go down. So that was one of my notes here. That's one of the things about – this was true also last year of the Jeremy Grant-Paul Millsap lineups is it felt like it was feast or famine because both of those guys – as much as they are good shooters in aggregate, they're very slow shooters and they're very like streaky shooters. You might get 0-4 from them one day, 4-4 the next, and Millsap in this one just wasn't knocking down the shots. And it, I thought that it allowed the Lakers to really pack the paint and rotate hard like they were. Um, and then Murray, I think, was responsible for a majority of the Lakers' points in that second quarter, especially in the back half of that second quarter. Just some bad decision, hor- horrible decision making uh, decisions on offense that left guys in awful position and awful spots on the court that led to other players getting turnovers or other players getting missed shots because they had to force something up at the end of shot clock after Murray had wasted just like way too much. And this is what I'm talking about with Murray in that. You know, he makes four shots in a row where he goes through the leg six times and step back, and you think, like, oh, my gosh, he's cooking. But the moment that well goes dry, Murray's still doing those moves, and if he's not open, he just hands off a grenade to somebody else. Or he had one shot in that second quarter that I – this is another thing that, like, point guards just have to be aware of. Statistically speaking, if a point guard hits the floor inside the paint, on a shot inside the paint, no matter what happens, goes in, doesn't go in, whatever, if a, if a, if a guard goes down, and in particular a point guard – Opposing teams score almost every single time. This is bared out over like years and years of data. And Jamal Murray had this one play where it was like another one of those like seven, eight dribble moves. Goes at LeBron, falls to the side, knocks it down, makes the shot. Incredible shot. Highlight. Put it on Center. Falls out of bounds. LeBron grabs the ball from the net, inbounds it, runs down the other way. It's a five on four. They get a wide open corner three, knock down, knock down shot. That's a minus one play. And it all happened because, again, Jamal Murray was cooking. But I just think that that type of offense, you have to really pick your spots there. And if you're going to drive to the basket and shoot a like falling down sideways floater, even if you hit it, it you put yourself and you put your team in a really, really vulnerable spot. And I thought that's what happened here. Take a break to tell you guys about Built Bar, the delicious protein health bar for the health conscious guy that comes in. 18 amazing flavors, including some new ones. You guys know my favorite lemon almond cheesecake. That's number one for me. Then you got the coconut almond, the coconut, uh, just the straight up coconut one is also fantastic. All kinds of good stuff, guys. I highly recommend these because one, I get these, I get, they have all kinds of different products and they ship them straight to me because we're, we're, we're promoting them. So we get to sample all of them and they have a lot of cool stuff. They've got the powder mix for like, it's like a Gatorade style mix that they have. That's fantastic. Um, they've got these like energy booster type gels, things that are incredible, uh, built boost. And then of course they're, they're staple, the, the built bars, all those different flavors. And just to give you a sense, so like coconut almond, one of my favorite, 18 grams of protein, 180 calories, five grams, sugar, five gram net carbs, a fantastic like meal replacement or just snack that you could throw in your bag or something. If you know, you're going to be out for a bit, you don't want to stop for fast food. You just grab a built bar 
It's a really, really, uh, really delicious, great alternative. So go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON. You'll get 20% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKEDON. Also want to tell you about RockAuto.com. You guys have heard me telling telling you about this. You go to a, uh, one of those big chain stores around the country. You never know what your price is going to get. You rarely feel like you're getting the best value. If you go to RockAuto.com, they've got every single, almost every single type of uh part you're going to need for your car. It's not some little store that's contained to just the most popular models. It's going to have almost everything you can need. So if you need a big, if you're doing like a big, like, uh, you know, changing a whole new engine on your hot rod, or if you're just going there, cause you need a, a new tail light, you got to replace a tail light, go to rockauto.com. They got all the parts you need at a really great uh, price. And then also they're a family business. You guys know how big I am about that. You want to check them out rockauto.com and then ru- go ahead while you're there. If you do find that service to be very helpful, go to the, how did you hear about a section and write in locked on. That's where you heard about them. Last segment here in the Locked On Nuggets podcast. I want to tell you real quickly about uh, the Locked On Friday NBA show with myself and uh, Anthony Irwin. If you guys don't know, Locked On NBA, the national uh, podcast that goes Monday through Friday. Every Friday, I'm the host or the co-host along with... uh, my buddy Anthony Irwin from the Lakers, the only good Lakers fan on earth, to be honest with you guys. We have fun. Since it's a Friday show, we try to be a little bit more lighthearted. We do a power rankings every single week uh, to close out the show. It's not always the best five teams. It's usually best five prospects, best five coaches, best five whatever. Sometimes we get a little silly, but it's a great show. You're going to want to catch that out. Locked on NBA, another show to add to your, uh, your podcast rotation. Um, all right, final segment here. So we get into the second half. There's a couple things working at play here. I don't think that the fouls and the way in which they happened were the reason Denver lost the game. I think the reason they lost is because they're not as good of a team and because the the Lakers really put the clamps on. But if you go through the five fouls that opened the quarter, Denver gets five fouls in three minutes and 17 seconds. Um, If you go through those fouls, they're really, really, really tough fouls against Denver in a way that really changed the entirety of the game. Jokic was not good defensively in this game. And I always think when Jokic, this is my theory with him, he's not a good enough athlete to be a great defender for 40, 30, 35, 36 minutes. But you, he really, when he knows, it, especially in a game like this, and it was true of the playoffs too, he manages the games defensively in the first half meaning tries not to get fouled. I mean, really what I mean is he tries not to get fouls and he tries not to just completely let people have a red carpet. But when he stays out of foul trouble early on in these games, he's able to become aggressive as the game goes on. Well, he only gets out of that first half with just one foul. And I thought even that one was a little bit crazy. End of shot clock, Marcus all kind of runs barrels at him and throws the ball up in the air and gets the call. I hate the call, but guess what? Jokic gets that one a lot too. I thought it was silly, but he gets out of the first half with only that one foul. On the first two possessions, or two of the first three possessions of the second half, he picks up fouls, and you rewind. It's funny because TNT did not show the replay, so I had to go to the tape and and see it on Synergy myself. Both of them, to me, are really tough calls on him. The first one, uh, you know, he kind of gets like a fingernail on on, uh, Schroeder, who hits an 18-foot jumper and nakes it, with, and they call the contact on Jokic. Clearly, the contact was so light, and if you go through it, I mean, you can't actually tell if he touches his off arm with a finger or not, but it just, I mean, it looks like if he gets him, he gets him with one finger and they call that foul on it. And you think, man, this is really frustrating. Okay. Now he's got two. Can he play? You know, you got two, you get out of the third quarter with two, you're, you're fine. 
very almost very next play down court jamal murray does a really stupid he, he dribbles into the middle of three defenders gets the ball poked away from him Jokic is running back on defense lebron attacks him and Jokic just gets out of the way lebron kind of jumps into him gets no almost no contact on it and they call that one as well so back to back he goes from one foul to three fouls and there was a couple other plays immediately after that one on jamal murray that that i thought again on, on replay did not look like a foul and before you know it the lakers are in the bonus for eight minutes and 43 seconds to close out this game now again i think the lakers are a good enough team they they probably would have had a, a made this a game and likely probably would have pulled it out just just with how talented they are but when you go into this one uh, when you go and look at this tape and think, okay, now Denver has to play with themselves in the bone with the Lakers in the bonus for eight minutes and 43 seconds. And with their most important player now having to play in foul trouble, completely changed the game, completely changed it. And Denver actually managed, you know, I think everybody looks at it and says that third quarter, 37 to 13 to 17, that's part of it. But a real part of it was it was 15 to zero to close that game. So if they outscore, if they beat Denver by 20 points in the quarter, they actually beat them by 15 in the final three minutes. And I think 13 in the final two minutes and 30 seconds. So Denver, you know, a lot of this just came down to Denver getting into the bonus. And then on the other end of the court, we're going to talk about some of the offensive stuff. But when you put the Lakers into the bonus and they get to walk to the foul line time after time after time, and you have to, you're constantly trying to avoid foul trouble, you're kind of screwed. And that's what happened with Denver in this one. Um, Murray, I think, you know, he got credited with, I think just three turnovers. I say just three turnovers in the quarter, but he had another one. I mean, he had a string of, I talked about the well going dry. Once those little, he calls himself glitch. Once those glitchy moves, they don't really open up good shots. He's just so good at making tough shots. But once those go dry, you know, things just aren't, you, you know, the, the entire Nuggets offense starts to fall out of rhythm. I talk about how Denver doesn't have for as good of a team as they are and they average so many assists and, and they get the ball popping, they fall out of rhythm just so easily sometimes when you get like two or three bad possessions in a row and they don't seem to have the ability to like find what it is that gets them back into flow. And then again, this is what I think is a product of Jokic being a guy that doesn't have the ball in his hands unless it's thrown to. And when you throw the ball to him, like, it, okay, now like, we have to find him in the right spot. If a team pushes him off the block or overloads, so that now the pass can't work, it, it really hurts. So this is where I really think the as more more time as more time goes by, I think Jamal Murray's a fantastic player, all star caliber player. I just don't think he's a point guard. And the more time that goes through, the more I think I think Denver would really be do well to have themselves either a small forward or point guard who handles the ball in these types of moments that says, okay, I know how to get us into the right shots here so that we stop the bleeding. Cause Denver did that entire, really in the entire second half, once the bleeding started, it didn't stop it. You know, that faucet opened up and it didn't close. So Burry gets three turnovers. He also got one. It's going to be credited as a Lakers team rebound, but it was where he touches the ball just barely on a rebound and then pretends he doesn't touch it, doesn't grab it, and it rolls out of bounds, and then they call it back. That was a, one of those plays where if you go back and look at it, it was a pivotal moment because the Lakers were on a run and Denver got a stop. But then it, rather than grab and secure the ball, ball rolls out of bounds, and, and Murray's surprised that they called it out on him. Um, and, and maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was just a, a tough call, but you know he could have rebounded it too and just made it, made it not um, – crazy um and so then last one michael porter comes in so you talk about that 13 or they keep calling it a 15-0 run i'm gonna call it a 13-0 run because it really coincided with when Jokic had to come out with his third foul Jokic comes out with his third foul there's three minutes and three seconds left lakers go on that 13-0 run at that point and part of this was michael porter going up against the player like lebron james 
LeBron can read him defensively like a book, and he kept dragging him in on pick and roll, putting Yoke, putting Michael Porter in the help side position um, on one pass away, and that's the the, the spot where you kind of have to make the read. And he kept drawing Michael Porter out of that spot, throwing it over. And Michael Porter has this habit, and I've talked, I've actually credited him with his length and how that impacts the defense, and that's true against most teams. Like when he's in that spot, he's so long he can kind of reach and get steals, and he has gotten steals that way. But when you're going up against LeBron James, more athletic than you, tall, as tall if not you know, almost as tall as you, and who's just so good at playing the the chess part of basketball, he kept dragging him in, throwing that skip pass, and and MPJ kept jumping for it as if he was going to get the steal. He never did, and in doing so, he allowed the corner shooter an extra half second to gather himself and shoot, and they just murdered Denver that way in that at uh, that end of quarter um and start a second quarter michael malone uh, calls a timeout on him, one of those one of those such plays and it's just like okay you got to get porter out of here like you know I, again i think porter has to play through these i think he's wearing the weight of his uh, of the world on his shoulders right now because he knows his coach doesn't trust him but at the same time he is hem- he is one of the culprits to why denver hemorrhages points on that end of the court right now and he just needs to shore up you look at teams like um, the Lakers last night, they got turnovers and they got and most of their turnovers. They got from getting into the ball, like putting pressure on the guys who had the ball. And this is one of the things about Denver that I think is really tough is they just don't have athletes on their team. I mean, Jamal Murray has those like jitter moves, but he's not, he's not like Dennis Schroeder who blows by you. Um, you know, same goes obviously Millsap green. You're, you're leaving a lot of athleticism on the board when you play against a hyper athletic team. And when you go to the guys that Denver goes to, and I think that it's one of the things that, if you get steals from playing passing lanes, like, okay, that's good. But that's also predominantly because teams made mistakes if you're getting a steal in the passing lane. If you can put pressure into guys and speed them up and then force them into bad passes, that's another way to generate turnovers. I think that's what the Lakers did to Denver. They used their athleticism. They got into guys because Denver couldn't get around them, and then they were able to generate steals uh, um, that way. So uh, Michael Porter, a part of the problem down there, the stretch. But again, so many things went poorly for Denver in this one that – you really look at it and you don't say, could Denver have played a more perfect game? Sure, but that's not where they are right now as a team. The Lakers clearly a better team right now, and that's why I think that result uh, was the way that was. Good news, there's 50 games left, 51 games left in the season. Denver has an enormous amount of time. As I said at the open of this, this reminded me a lot of that Clippers-Nuggets game uh, from last January. If you recall that game, you would go after that game, you would be have a very hard time telling people, hey, Denver's better than the Clippers, right? Nobody would have believed you. But the fact of the matter was Denver had a lot more season left. They got into the bubble. They got better. And then by the time they faced the Clippers in the playoffs, they were a completely different team and were able to take advantage of it. Denver, I don't know if that same thing's going to happen. Right now, it'd be hard to predict that. But, you know, that's just kind of the nature of things right now. Denver is behind the Lakers by by leaps and bounds. um, And they have a lot of room to grow. But fortunately, they have a lot of pieces that are just scraping the surface of what kind of team they can be. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We're going to be back tomorrow with Matt Moore recapping the game against the dreaded Kings, the Sacramento Kings, a team that seems to have Denver's number. Can they bounce back and sort of uh, get revenge on one team that got them early? We'll find out. We'll see you then.